Genesis chapter 43. People have had trouble figuring this congregation out over the years because we love all kinds. We love the great hymns of the faith. We love some things that seem almost uh, operatic. And then we like uh, some of the Hank Williams Jr. spirituals. And we like some of the Southern Gospel spirituals, which is what I would call that song. Whatever it is, we want to try to sing the truth and glorify the Lord. Genesis chapter 43, and we're going to read only a couple of verses. You know that the family of Jacob is again running out of food. They've already been to Egypt one time to get some food, and now some time has passed and they're out of food again. So then the issue comes up when you're going back into Egypt to get some food. And then there is a conversation between, how many sons did Jacob have? Somebody want to tell me? He had 12, and each one of them became the head of one of the 12 tribes of Israel. And Jacob's name was changed to Israel, okay, to Israel. Well, one of the sons that he has is a son named Judah. And so when he says, well, it's time to get back into Egypt and get some food, Judah strikes up a conversation with him. Verse 3. Judah said, the man, that's who we looked at last week, the man, did solemnly protest. He spoke very strongly to us, saying, you shall not see my face. Don't come back here again. Don't come before me again, except your brother be with you. Now, you all probably know enough about the Bible to know that the fellow that's talking here is Jacob, his brother didn't realize that it was Jacob, the brother that they had, I mean Joseph, the brother that they had sold many years ago, their brother Joseph, and he's now the governor. And uh, he has one blood brother, which is Benjamin. And so he, Judah says, he said, don't come back up here unless Benjamin is with you. Verse 4, so Judah says to his father, if you will send our brother with us, we will go down and buy food. But if you will not send him, we will not go down. For the man said, you shall not see my face except your brother be with you. And then Israel, because Jacob Israel, he said, why did you even tell the man you had a brother? Why did you tell him you had another brother? And he said, well, he asked us. About our state, verse 7, he asked us about our kindred, that is, about our family. He said, is your father still alive? Do you have another brother? And we told him, according to the tenor of these words, certainly we didn't know that he would say, I want you to bring your brother down here to Egypt. Then Judah says, verse 8, this is Judah doing all of this talking. Judah said to Israel, his father, send the lad with me. 
and we will arise and go that we may live and not die, both we and you and all of our little ones, I will be surety for him. How many of you have surety in your Bibles? Some of you will have some other translation. I will be surety. Some of you might have the word guarantee. Of my hand shalt thou require him. If I bring him not unto thee, I don't bring Benjamin back and set him before you, then let me bear the blame forever. For except we had lingered, if we hadn't been hobnobbing about all this over the last few weeks and months, we would have already been there and back the second time. Now I want you to notice that verse 9. Judah said, I will be surety for him. Of my hand you shall require him. If I bring him not unto thee and set him before thee, let me bear the blame forever. May the Lord add his blessings to the reading of his word and let God's people say praise the Lord. You may be seated. I'm going to pray. Father, we stretch our hands to thee. We have no other hope. We have no other place to go. You have the words of eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. I pray that you'll bless your word and make it indeed the word of God by the power of your spirit to all who are gathered here and to all who hear it by whatever means you choose to use it. We ask it in the name of our Savior Jesus, the Christ, for his sake. Amen. Well, they're frightened. They don't want to go back to Egypt because when they got home, they found money in every man's sack. The governor, Joseph, they didn't know it was their brother, accused them of being spies. Of course, he knew they weren't spies. The scripture tells us that he recognized them right away, but they did not recognize him. And so, in order to prove them, we read in chapter 42, verses 19 and 20, that he kept one of them bound in the prison. That was Simeon. And he said, bring your youngest brother to me, and so by this your words will be verified. Well, of course, when they got home, they found money in their sacks, and so now they're saying, well, we're not only going to be accused of spies, but thieves. So we're in real trouble. But in time, they ran out of corn again. And so when Jacob prods them to return to Egypt to buy more corn, then we have this conversation between Judah and between his father, Jacob. And that verse 9 is where I'm going to be today. I want to ask you right now, if you'd like to, in your Bibles, if you have your Bible, to try to find the book of Proverbs while I'm talking to you. The book of Proverbs. In this verse 9, Judah says, I will be surety for him. I will 
bring him again to you, and I will set him before you safe and sound. And if I don't do it, then I will bear the blame forever. Now, I'm wondering if you know what a surety is. Surety. It's an old English word, S-U-R-E-T-Y, surety. Surety ship was practiced somewhat in Israel. That word is used in three different connections in the Bible. And I will open this up for you so you're not going to remember all three right now. But it's used, number one, as a derivative of the word sure. Somebody says, you sure about that? I'm sure. Certainly. Or surely. Secondly, it's used in the sense of security or pledge for a person. And thirdly, it's used in the sense of striking hands with a person becoming responsible for anything or for any one that's loaned. The English word surety, S-U-R-E-T-Y, as used in the Bible, it's translated from several different Hebrew words. It's like the word sin. You read the word sin, you don't know if it's hamartia or anomia. Uh, but you should be able to tell by the context, hamartia means to miss the mark, no matter how hard you try, it means you're still imperfect. Anomia means deliberate, willful, continual transgression or sinning. And it's the way, it's, I suppose, with many words, where the word surety comes from several different Hebrew words. For example, in Genesis 15, God said to Abraham, Know of a surety, Abraham, that your seed, your family, will be a stranger in a land that is not theirs. And they shall serve them, and they shall afflict them 400 years. Genesis 15, verses 13 and 14. The word that's used there is yadah, and it just simply means you know this for sure, uh, it also has to do with experience. You know by experience, it's translated, for example, when it says Adam knew his wife. He knew her by experience. And is that word Yadah. Then in Genesis 18, when the Lord is speaking to 99-year-old Abraham, and he tells him, you and your wife Sarah, who's 90, is going to have a child. And Sarah laughed. She laughed. This is Genesis 18, verses 12 through 15. And it says she laughed within herself. In other words, he didn't, she didn't laugh out loud. She didn't laugh out loud, but the Lord hears you when you laugh inside. <laughs> and she laughed in herself. And she said to herself, shall I of a surety bear a child when she's old? And then the word is another Hebrew word, unam, which means, can it be? Indeed, can it be that I, 90 years old, 
have a child. Again, we read in Genesis 26, in verse 9, about a king of the Philistines named Abimelech. And Isaac had a wife named Rebekah. And when Isaac and Rebekah went into Abimelech's territory, Isaac did the same thing that his dad Abraham had done. He lied, and he told everybody that his wife was his sister. Because she was such a beautiful, beautiful woman, he was afraid that somebody would kill him for her or something like that. But the Bible says that Abimelech one morning was looking out the window, and there he saw Isaac and Rebekah behaving as a husband and a wife. And he said to Isaac in Genesis 26, 9, Behold, of a surety, she is thy wife. Why did you say she is my sister? And that word surety, there's the little Hebrew word, ak, ak, and it means it's evident. Indeed, truly, she's your wife. But in our text that we just read in Genesis 43, where Judah says, I will be surety for Benjamin, the word there is arab, and it means to take a pledge. It means to give an exchange. It means to mortgage. It means to guarantee. It has to do with something that you can be sure and certain of. It it means what we mean when we say to somebody, are you willing to sign on the dotted line? (laughs) Are you willing to sign on the dotted line? Everything is just talk. Until you're willing to sign on the dotted line. Wendy here gets people to sign on the dotted line. She's in the real estate business. And they might say, oh, I'm interested in that house. I like that house. That's wonderful, but doesn't mean a thing. Until they sign on the dotted line. Okay? The American Heritage Dictionary defines suretyship as... Listen to this. Number one, a pledge or a formal promise made to secure against loss, damage, default, a guarantee, or a security. Number two, one who has contracted to be responsible for another, especially one who assumes responsibility or debts in the event of default. So in the biblical sense of what Judah has done, he has bound himself to certain conditions of a verbal contract that he made with his father. He has made himself responsible for making sure that Benjamin gets back from Egypt safely, soundly, He has bound himself by an oath to fulfill certain conditions. He has become the guarantor of a contract or a covenant with his father. Now you can learn quite a bit about suretyship, the negative aspect of it, 
from the book of Proverbs. I have suggested, I suggested to my son Trace, I suggest to all of you that you read one chapter of Proverbs a day. Proverbs has 31 chapters, so in most months, you, you finish the book in a month. And if you read it over and over and over and over again, you will gain a lot of wisdom, not only about business, but about life. Just take your time and read it. Read a chapter a day. Take you 10 minutes, if it takes that long. In Proverbs chapter 6, I ask you to turn to the book of Proverbs. So some of you may have a little bit different translation, and I'm going to leave it up to the boys upstairs if they want to put these things on the screen. But in Proverbs chapter 6, beginning in verse 1, My son, if thou be surety for thy friend, if thou hast stricken thy hand with a stranger, Thou art snared with the words of thy mouth. Thou art taken with the words of thy mouth. Do this now, my son, verse 3, and deliver thyself. When you have come into the hand of your friend, go and humble yourself and make sure your friend. And do not give sleep to your eyes or slumber to your eyelids. Deliver yourself as a roe from the hand of the hunter and as a bird from the hand of the of the fowler. All right, Proverbs chapter 11. Proverbs chapter 11. Now, we're going to come back to this Proverbs 6. So you might mark that. Proverbs chapter 11. And in verse 15, He that is surety for a stranger shall smart for it. King James says smart. Smart there means pay for it. It can mean suffer for it. He that is a surety for a stranger will suffer for it. You'll pay for it. Okay? Then he goes on to say, he that hates suretyship is sure. (laughs) Proverbs chapter 17 and verse 18. 17 and verse 18, a man void of understanding strikes hands and becomes surety in the presence of his friend. Solomon doesn't think too much of suretyship. Chapter 20, chapter 20, Proverbs chapter 20. You can also find this same proverb that we're going to read in chapter 20, verse 16. You can find the exact same proverb in chapter 27, verse 13. Chapter 20, verse 16, take his garment that is surety for a stranger. If you're going to sign a note with somebody that you don't know, you better get something from him or her that's valuable as a collateral. That's what it said, take the garment. Back in these days, the garment was very, very important. You couldn't just go down to Walmart or to cast or not and buy yourself a garment. It took, they had to make them by hand, and they were expensive. So he said, if you're going to be a surety for a stranger, you better get something. You better get some collateral. You better take a pledge. And same thing with a strange woman. Now, strange, and I'll explain more of this to you. Now, strange doesn't mean acting strange. <laughs> it means somebody that's not in the nation of Israel, somebody that's a foreigner. 
All right, finally, Proverbs chapter 22. Proverbs chapter 22, verse 26. Chapter 22, verse 26. There's more of them in Proverbs, but I'm just exposing you to a few. Proverbs chapter 22, verse 26. Be not thou one of them that strike hands, or of them that are sureties for debts. If you have nothing to pay, why should he take away your bed from under you? In other words, if something happens and it defaults, and <laughs> he's going to come, he's going to come get something from you. And back in those days, everybody didn't have what we have today. So he said, "I tell you what, I do. I'll take your bed, and you pay me back. You get your bed back, and won't have to be sleeping on the ground." <laughs> okay. Now turn back to Proverbs chapter six. Matthew Henry, the old. Bible commentator who lived in the 17th century, died in the early 1700s. This is what he said. He said, it is the excellency of the word of God that teaches us not only divine wisdom for another world, but, he, but human prudence or human wisdom for this world. The Bible instructs us about the future and heaven. It instructs us about being good citizens and being a good, smart business person now. It is the excellency of the Word of God that it teaches us not only divine wisdom for another world, but human prudence for this world, that we may order our affairs with discretion. And this is one good rule to avoid suretyship, because by it poverty and ruin are often brought into families. Now, if you're back in Proverbs chapter 6, here Solomon goes on record saying that in terms of business dealings, one should beware of suretyship. Notice, he says in the first part of verse 1, beware of signing a friend's note. My friend, if thou be surety for thy friend. In the second part of verse 1, he says, Never be surety with a stranger, with somebody you don't know, with somebody you're not familiar with. In Israel, as I said earlier, those to whom money was lent for interest, in the Bible, it's called usury, U-S-U-R-Y, interest, were considered strangers. You could not lend money to a fellow Israelite and charge interest. You could not charge interest to a fellow Israelite. If they were strangers, if they were foreigners, if they were not part of Israel, one of the tribes of Israel, you could charge them interest. That you were forbidden to charge interest to a fellow Israelite. It said so in the law. Let me tell you where it's found. One place it's found, found a lot of places. In the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 23, verse 19, says, Thou shalt not lend upon usury to thy brother, whether that's money or food or usury of anything that is lent upon usury. You were forbidden under the law of Moses to loan money to your brother and charge them interest. 
or her interest. So what he tells us in this Proverbs 6 is be very careful in pledging yourself to guarantee a note or loan. He says you should consider how far you will have to go to oblige yourself. He said you should consider the cost and the means of discharging the debt if it falls that you're required to do so. If everything doesn't work out just like you want it to, and it doesn't work out properly, and it falls on you, and you're going to have to pay up, he said you should consider the cost and the means of discharging that debt. So it seems that Solomon, he, it, he assumes in most cases that you are, if you become a surety, you will be a surety for a friend. However, he does say you might, your creditor might be a stranger. So Solomon said you should never be surety for a stranger. And he says if you have stricken your hands, if you have, if you have shaken hands, or if you have signed on the dotted line, you're snared with the words of your mouth. Verse 2, Proverbs chapter 6, verse 2. You're snared with the words of your mouth. You're taken with the words of your mouth. Now, I don't know how many of you saw this, but just uh, Friday on local news, they talked about some people that had signed on the dotted line with a some type of loan company or real estate company or something, they felt that they were being taken. But they didn't really read the contract. Everything was legal, everything was above board, and they signed it, so they're snared. You can cry uncle then, but may not be anything anybody can do about it. Okay? So he says here in verse 2, if you've signed on the dotted line, if you've shaken your hands, if you've opened your big mouth and said, it's what I'll do, you're snared. And then he says, whether you have foolishly entered into such a pledge, or even if you've been tricked into it, you're bound by what you promised. And so here's what Solomon advises you, verses 3, 4, and 5. He says, you get out of it as quickly as possible. He says, it seems uh, maybe you're doing it for a friend, but he says, you have become the servant of the one for whom you are surety. Okay? And he says, this is not a good time to go in and say, well, now look, I didn't tell you what, I didn't mean to sign. He said, no, this is a time to humble yourself, not employ harsh or threatening language, but put on the garment of humility. That's what he says, isn't it? He says in the last part of verse 3, go humble yourself and make sure you're friends. Okay? He says... Employ your friend's patience and mercy. And he said, don't procrastinate. He said, don't go to sleep on it. He said, don't give sleep to your eyes or slumber to your eyelids. Verse 4. I take care of it tomorrow. Tomorrow never gets taken care of. I tell people all the time, if you're waiting on me, you must be backing up. 
if I'm going to do something, why not do it now? And I found that in most cases, if you want it done right, you just have to do it yourself. So he said, don't sleep on it. Don't procrastinate. He said, you are like a bird that has been trapped or like an animal that's been caught in a snare. Verse 5. Get out of it as soon and as quickly as you can. Avoid suretyship. Now, there are some exceptions, but they are rare. We're warned of signing even a note of suretyship with a friend and certainly with a stranger. Because to be a surety is to pledge yourself to guarantee that the note or the loan or the promise or whatever it is must be made good if there's a default. But there are some examples of suretyship in the Bible that were good. For example, if you read the little book of Philemon, you will learn about Philemon, who had a runaway slave named Onesimus. And in the providence of God, Onesimus was down in Rome among the hundreds of thousands of people and wound up in the same jail and in the same cell with the Apostle Paul. <laughs> and the Apostle Paul witnessed to him and he was saved. And so Paul wrote a letter back to his master, that's Philemon. And he said, hey, I ran into Onesimus down here in jail in uh, Rome and he is now your brother. He may still be your servant, but he's now your brother, and he's coming back. And this is what he said. He said, whatever he owes you, he said, I'll pay it. That's suretyship. He said, I'll repay it. I'll, I'll, I'll take care of it. So in the Proverbs, written by Solomon, he assumes the position of the one who could become a surety. You understand what I'm saying? But for a moment, let's put ourselves on the other side. Here we are, we need somebody to be surety for us. Adam, the first Adam, he represents the first person who needs a surety. He was entrusted with taking care of the earth. He was the Lord's viceroy, that is, his representative on earth. The Lord was going to exercise his will for the earth through Adam. And what happened? Adam failed. Consequently, we, his children, are born debtors. We are born debtors. We are born in debt. Not only were you born in debt in the sense that your mom or dad or whoever you were born to owed somebody else somewhere or something, but you're born in debt to God. Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for all have sinned, Romans 5. Not only have we inherited a debt we can never pay, we have increased the debt by our personal sins. We need a surety. 
We need someone who will sign a note for us regarding the note that we have with the God who made us. See, isn't sin regarded as a debt? Didn't the Lord Jesus say, when you pray, say, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Sin is a debt. He wasn't just talking about debts you owe to the bank <laughs> and debts you owe on your house and debts you owe to somebody else. He's talking about the debts you owe to the God who made us. It's a debt. And my friends, God does not simply, this is something this generation does not understand and I labor the point often here because I want you to understand it. God does not simply forgive debt just because a debtor asked him to do so. The debt must be paid to be forgiven. He said to Moses in Exodus chapter 34, I will by no means clear the guilty. There are going to be people on judgment day crying, Lord, forgive me. I'm sorry. And he's going to say, depart from me, you workers of iniquity. I never knew you. Those are terrifying words, aren't they? Dear ones, we have sinned against the Lord. Consequently, we have become debtors to the law. By virtue of being children of Adam, we have inherited the debt that our grandfather Adam owed, and we have increased that debt by our own sins. So thus far in this study, up until just a moment or two ago, we've considered suretyship from the perspective of the surety. Don't be surety for somebody, the scripture says, but we must consider the person who needs the surety. <laughs> and I need one. I need somebody that will guarantee that the debt owed will be paid. Someone who will satisfy the demands of a holy and just God. Job cried out to God for a surety. In Job 17, he said, My breath is corrupt. My days are extinct. The graves are ready for me. Lay down now, put me in a surety with thee. Who is he that will strike hands with Job said, I need, I need a guarantor, man. I need somebody that'll be my surety. Hezekiah, the king of Judah, cried out to Lord for a surety. He said, my eyes fell from looking upward. Oh, Lord, I am oppressed. Undertake for me. Be my security. Be my pledge. Be my safety. Be my surety. Isaiah 38, 14. We read earlier what Solomon said we ought to do if we've signed on for suretyship. He said, realize that we're snared by the words of our mouth and by the thoughts and intents of our heart. Isn't that where we are with God? Aren't we snared with the words of our mouth? Aren't there things that you've said that you wish you could take back? You wish you'd never said them?
and the thoughts and intents of our heart. We've been running up a tab with heaven since we've been born. And when it's time to settle accounts, we won't be able to pay. I was in a band, I was in several different bands, but I remember we were playing in a band in Augusta, Georgia, many, many years ago, back in the 60s. And we had a guy in the band named Jimmy Tab. Jimmy Tab. <laughs> and it's, this was one of those places where you played to 2 or 3 o'clock in the morning. Not too many people dancing at 2 or 3 o'clock in the morning, but there's a few. And so on Saturday night, we would settle up and the club would pay us. So they called me and they called Randy Brimberry and they called Willie Willis. And they called probably Jerry Willis. And then when they called for Jimmy, Jimmy Tapp, we said, well, Jimmy drove home. He drove home to spend some time this weekend with his wife. They said, well, we'll settle with him Monday, but Jimmy Tab's tab is bigger than his paycheck, so he owes us. <laughs> uh, he, had, he had drank up more than he was paid. And he, he had a wife and a kid, or maybe two kids at home. So, We've been running up a tab with heaven, and when it's time to settle accounts, we won't be able to pay. We're like a bird in a snare or a deer trapped in a dead-end tunnel. Solomon said, don't try to bargain, don't try to reason your way out, don't try to talk your way out. He said, humble yourself and make sure you're friend." We have to go to God's Son and ask Him to be surety for us. We must give no sleep to our eyelids until the suretyship of Christ is made sure. Jonathan Edwards in his famous sermon, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God, you know how fragile a spider web is. Jonathan Edwards pictured the whole spider web gone as just one little strand. And he said, sinners are hanging over hell and eternal damnation by the thread of a spider web. And he said, they're going through life just having a ball, going to sleep at night, nothing bothers them. Solomon said, don't give any sleep to your eyelids until you make sure you've got a surety that'll stand in your place with God Almighty. Set it on the day of judgment, your accounts will be settled. When they look up your name, they'll say, he doesn't know anything. Doesn't know your thing. How's that? Jesus paid it all. All oh, to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. So Judah, if you'll turn back to, I tell you what, go ahead and turn to the book of Proverbs. 
I'll be through here in just a minute. Book of Proverbs. Judah said to his father, listen to what he said now, there are four things that had to do with his suretyship. Number one, he said, send the lad with me. Now that speaks of his safety. His safety. You send him with me, he'll be safe. I'll make sure that he's safe. My friends, if you cast your lot with Jesus, you'll be safe. You'll be safe. Number two, he said, I will be surety for him. That speaks of security. I'll be surety for him. I'll stand up for him. I'll sell myself off before I'll let him remain in Egypt. And in fact, that is what Judah did when he came before the governor. He said, Put me in jail, make me your servant, but let Benjamin go back. If you don't, it's going to kill our old father. He's going to die. So he said, send the lad with me. That's safety. He said, I'll be surety for him. That's security. He said, of my hand shall you require him that sacrifice. I'm willing to sacrifice everything I've got. I'm willing to sacrifice my future My wife and my children will never see me again. I'm willing to sacrifice everything I've got to make sure, guarantee the security and the safety of Benjamin. And then he said, I will bear the blame forever if I do not bring him home. That has to do with slander. My name will be mud. I'll be slandered from now on because I didn't keep my word. I didn't guarantee his safety. I didn't get him back. Now, who's the great slanderer? The devil. Satan and devil means accuser and slanderer. The devil is the great slanderer. He came up before God when the sons of God came before, and he slandered Job. Remember that? And then the Lord let Satan do some things with Job. He limited what he could do, but he gave him over to Satan's hand. He's a great slanderer. We read in the book of Revelation, he accuses the people of God day and night. So Judah said, if I don't keep him safe, if I don't grant his security, if I don't sacrifice everything I've got and have to sacrifice, I'll lose everything. I'll be slandered for all eternity. That's what a surety does. A surety throws himself in the place of the person who's entangled who's in debt, and he says, I will be a vicarious. What does the word vicarious mean? It means substitute. The Pope is a false vicar. The Pope calls himself the vicar of Christ, V-I-C-A-R from the word vicarious. He's not a substitute for Christ. The Pope is not a substitute for Christ. The only person who can operate in the name of God as a substitute for God is God's Son. 
There's one God and there's one man between men, the man Christ Jesus. That's in 1 Timothy. The Pope is a sinner just like I am. If he doesn't have a Savior, he's going to perish in his sins. You can write him and tell him I said so. He'll say, Bill who? <laughs> Reminds me of a fellow years ago on the outskirts of Houston, Texas. He was in a little 1,000 kilowatt radio station. That station would probably only reach about two miles out of that city. But he would come on every morning and give a commentator, a commentary. It was when Lyndon Bain Johnson was president. And when he would come on and give a political commentary, he'd say, are you listening, Lyndon? The little station he was in wouldn't reach three miles out of town. So the Pope would probably say, Bill who? All right, now you're in Hebrews. Solomon said, and we read this a moment ago, he said in Proverbs eleven five, he that is surety for a stranger will suffer for it. And I know this, my friends. Listen carefully to me now. Christ became surety for somebody. I know that. He became surety for somebody. And he suffered for it. Our Lord Jesus Christ did what Solomon says don't do. Because if you become surety, you're going to suffer for it. Hebrews chapter 7. Hebrews chapter 7. I tell you all the time that the Bible is a hymn book. It's all about him. Everything is about him. By the way, who was it that was reasoning with Jacob and said, I'll be surety? What was his name? His name was Judah. What tribe did the Lord Jesus Christ come from? He came from the tribe of Judah. Came from the tribe of Judah. And he said the same thing to his father that Judah said to Jacob. He said, give me that old sinner down there and I'll take care of him. And if I don't, let me bear the blame forever. Let me be slandered. Let the devil have the victory. The slanderer. In Hebrews chapter 7 and in verse 22, we read, By so much was Jesus made a surety of a better testament. He was a, te he was a surety of a better testament. Testament, that old testament, that old covenant, which was the law, couldn't save anybody. The law is like a mirror. You can look in the mirror and you see all your blemishes. You can see where you need to put makeup on. You can see how you need to straighten up that part in your hair. You can see whether you're getting gray. You can see all your blemishes. But that mirror cannot do one thing to correct all of those problems. We needed a better covenant. The law was the old covenant, but it couldn't save anybody. It's, it can show you all your blemishes. 
It can show you you're a sinner, but it can't do anything about it. But Jesus came with a better covenant, a new covenant. He came as our surety, and he answered all of the demands of the law upon us in our place. He became our surety. So let me ask you, are we in covenant with Jesus? You say, how do you get in that covenant, Brother Sass? The only way to get in that covenant is by faith. And listen to this, it gets better. Jesus became surety for some strangers. Solomon said, by all means, don't even enter into it. But if you have to, do it with a friend. Don't ever do it with a stranger. Listen to this passage, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 12. At that time, you were without Christ. You were aliens from the commonwealth of Israel, and you were strangers from the covenants of promise. And you had no hope, and you were without God in the world. Ephesians 2.12. We weren't in the nation of Israel to whom were given the covenants and the law and the promises. We were strangers. Jesus even entered into covenant for strangers. Solomon tells us in Proverbs 20, verse 16, and Proverbs 27, verse 13, that if you're going to be a surety for a stranger, you better get a garment or something from him because you're going to lose everything. And let me tell you something. Jesus lost his garment. He lost his life. The garment that he had on that took it and gambled for it. He lost everything. He sacrificed everything. That's part of suretyship. In order to redeem his people from their sins. Take his garment from one who is surety for a stranger, said Solomon. My dear friends, the entire new covenant with its better promises, better precepts, and wonderful salvation in Christ is all based upon the fact that Christ became surety for his people. Is he your surety? Is he your surety? May the Lord add his blessings on his word.